0: If you and I were to go back 2,000 years and put ourselves uh, back back with the disciples, back outside of Jerusalem on what we celebrate today as Palm Sunday, uh, what you and I would find is we would find ourselves living amongst the Jewish people, God's chosen people, with access to the Old Testament Scriptures, which speak of a Messiah who is coming, of of God's King coming. But we would find ourselves presently at the end of a 400-year period where God's prophets have vanished, where in that 400 years of time we have made our way back from exile in Babylon. But with the exception of a brief little period, we have fallen under the rule of Persia and then Greece, and now Rome. We find that our religious leaders are both corrupt and oppressive, and we find ourselves longing for the promise of this Messiah to bring deliverance, to, to bring correction. And, and we've, seen, we've seen John the Baptist step on the scene. and. And now, all of a sudden, there's one who has stirred up even more hustle and bustle and, if you will, whatever our form of media and social media is, this man named Jesus from Nazareth. And at this time, we would find Jesus, having been out in the west side of Israel, out past Jericho, making his way through Jericho to, to Jerusalem. In fact, it tells us in Luke chapter 9 that at a certain point, Jesus sets his face like a flint. Jesus is determined to go to Jerusalem. Nothing will stop him. There is no moving other directions. There is no time to take up other causes. He is moving dead set to Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to go today. We're going to take a break from Philippians, church family, and I want you to turn on your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 19. What we find is Jesus, in the lead up to this moment, a couple things have happened. On his way to Jericho, he has has run into the blind man, Bartimaeus, and he has restored his sight. He has come into Jericho, and he has has sought out that wicked tax collector, Zacchaeus, and far from shunning him, said, hey, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to come I'm going to come to your house today. I'm going to come and eat. I'm going to come and partake of fellowship. We know that, that on, the, on the, the way to Jerusalem, he's healed the lame. And we know that prior to this, from John's gospel, that Jesus has just shown up and called a very thoroughly, very much corroding corpse out of the ground back to life. So in light of this, here's where we find Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And after Jesus said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent the two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. Here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away, and they found it just as Jesus told them. And they are untiring the colt, and its owners, or literally its Lord, said to them, why are you untying the colt? So they said in response, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has has need of it. We find the preparation for this moment. As we walk through the story, we find the preparation. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. Remind us that when it always says up to Jerusalem, we're not talking about direction as if he's coming from the south. But because Jerusalem sits on Mount Zion, we're speaking of actual, like we're climbing up. We're moving from the lower level of Jericho out in the west. We are making the climb to Jerusalem. And as he does so, he passes through, uh, passes near two villages, Bethphage and Bethany. And Bethany would be that village where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live, and we're just a few miles out from Jerusalem. And, and as as he comes, there's the Mount Luke calls Olivet, or you and I would also know as the Mount of Olives. And if you go to Jerusalem today and you stand on the old city, the city of David, or if you stand on the Temple Mount and you look east, you will see a small, a small valley. It's not large. We're, not t- we're talking a matter, of a matter of a couple hundred yards, not a couple miles. It's a small valley, the Kidron Valley. And when you come out of that valley, you begin to ascend up the Mount of Olives. This is where Christ finds himself. And he says, go into this village. You'll find a colt, find a young donkey. Now, now, now it's, it's interesting and it's important that it's a young donkey which no one has ever set. You see, there's precedent in the Old Testament that a a young donkey is useful for both sacrifice and holy purposes. By holy purposes, we mean things tied to like the pulling of the Ark of the Covenant, that it's sacred for holy use. And here we find them looking for a cult upon whom not the Ark of the Covenant rests, but God Himself. A donkey that will lead Jesus into Jerusalem, where the donkey will not be sacrificed, but Christ will make the perfect sacrifice. It's a donkey on which none has set because only an animal that has never been ridden upon is suitable for a king. And so, whether… This was prearranged. Some scholars, this prearranged. Did Jesus set it up? Did Jesus know? Is he seeing seeing what's there and telling them? It doesn't matter. The point is that what Jesus says is going to happen, they show up and that's the way it is. And the donkey's owners, that literally in, in the original languages, it says the donkey's lords. The owners, the lords of this donkey say, what are you doing? And they say, the Lord has need of it. You may be the donkey's lords, but the Lord is Lord even over you. And so they give the donkey. The preparation has been set. The moment has now come. Look what they do. They brought, brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And the language there is they didn't come and casually bring the donkey to Jesus and, you know, take their jacket off and lay it nice and and need and calm. No, this is the language. They brought the donkey to Jesus in haste, and they ripped off their clothes, coats and they threw it on there, and, and they set Jesus, meaning they, they appointed Jesus. They enthroned Jesus. Now, they're not obviously making Jesus king. They're not, not enthroned as if they have that power, but the idea is that kind of language. There is an excitement. There is a fervor. And as Jesus was going, they were spreading their coats down on the the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, so now we've come up to the Mount from the east, and we're about to go drop down and and make our way down the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, which, by the way, you can do today if you go there. There's a beautiful walkway that takes takes you down. As they neared the descent, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully, passionately, with loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Church family, the picture here is not one of casual. They are, they are coming over. You can imagine in the mind, you're coming over the top of the hill where, where the Mount of Olives overlooks the city of Jerusalem. You can see the temple laid out there across the valley in front of you. It's a beautiful day. The disciples are laying out as a, as a sign of his royalty as, as once they the Jews laid out in front of King Jehu, now the disciples lay out their coats and front of one who's greater than king jehu whereas once david set solomon upon the donkey one who is greater than solomon has been set upon the donkey whereas once even the great king david fled up the mount of olives because his kingdom was attacked now the one true king comes down the mount of olives to his capital. And the scene is exuberant. It's excited. There's passion. The disciples have seen. They've seen the blind see. They've seen the lame walk. They've seen the dead raised up. They have seen the miracles that the Old Testament tells them the Messiah will bring. And here in the midst of this climate where there is oppression, where there is a desire for freedom, here they come to Jerusalem, and the disciples are passionate, and they are declaring it for everyone to hear. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. God, we beg you, save. God, we beg you, save. Blessed is the king, citing Psalms 118. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Shouting displaying the psalm, praising. But Of course, it's not just the disciples. And by disciples, we mean the 12 and likely some of the 70 that Jesus sent out and others who had, who had followed him from, Jer- from Jericho in. But there's some Pharisees there too. Look at the rebuke. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In fact, the language is not just, hey, hey Jesus, would you, would you tell, your, tell your people to simmer down? No, the language is incredibly strong. It's, hey, teacher, tell your disciples to zip it. Silence them. We don't want to hear it. And I remind you, they're the same Pharisees that when they got the news that Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, it says in John that that became the moment when they were forever convicted that they must kill him. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. If I tell them to be quiet, the stones will cry out. What is Jesus referring to? is, is he mean miraculously the stones will all of a sudden have mouths and, and start to talk? Is, is he referring to something? Don't know. Jesus doesn't describe. Here's what we do know. When you go back through the Old Testament, there are multiple places in the Old Testament where when sin is committed, right, when, when Abel kills Cain, the ground cries out for Abel's blood. And Habakkuk says, you have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many people so you are sinning against yourselves. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall. The rafter will answer it from the framework. We know from the Old Testament and Psalms that all of creation declares the handiwork of God, that you and I should be able to, according to Romans, if it wasn't for sin. Look out on creation, and the response of us seeing the beauty and brilliance and design of creation should make us go, ah... God In what way does Jesus mean it? Well, here's what he means. Pharisees, even if those who follow me decide to be quiet, it doesn't change the fact that I am the king. It doesn't change the fact that objectively, it doesn't matter what anyone says or doesn't say, what they are saying is true. So, even if they choose to be quiet, it doesn't solve the problem for you, Pharisees, because I am still the king. And having made his way, he sees Jerusalem. Look with me, verse 41. And he sees the city, and he begins to weep over the city to freely cry with passion. He weeps over the city saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you where your enemies will throw a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time Of your visitation he begins to weep as he sees the city of Jerusalem he said if you had only known if you had only known you see what Jesus realizes for all the fervor of what's going on for everything that is taking place all around him have only observed they have not understood they see Jesus. They see the miracles. They connect the dots in their, mind, in their minds the way they want to. But here's even for the disciples. In five days, those same disciples that right now are throwing with gusto their coats on the crown and declaring, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord will be the same disciples who run away scared will be the same disciples who say, with such vulgarity in their language for the third time, I do not know that man. And everybody goes, yeah, you sure don't know that man, because no one who knows him would talk like you. The same crowds that are are surrounding and maybe getting caught up, you can imagine as you hear the noise people coming up from the side and getting caught in and coming and and laying their coats down and getting caught up in the fervor will be the same crowds that chant, crucify, crucify. You see, they see, they observe, they quote from the Old Testament, but Jesus says, had you only known. They observe, but they don't understand, and their lack of understanding, now now the point of no return has come. The things that make for peace have been hidden from their eyes, and he he weeps because he knows the day that's coming. coming. The day when in 70 AD, Rome would show up in full mass, led by General Titus, they would siege the city of Jerusalem for 143 days before they would break through and they would level every last drop to the ground. In fact, when you go to uh, the, the excavation of the Temple Mount today, you will see massive blocks of stone from the Temple from where the Romans brought it all down. They leveled it. Jesus sweeps, because though he has given the king's parade and the king's entrance, there are those who outright hate and reject his kingship, and even those who are praising his kingship have missed the point. And in Luke's gospel, as we walk through this passage, as we lead into Holy Week, uh, the the writer, Luke, Luke, is concerned that you and I understand before anything takes place, before we even move into the Easter week narrative, there is a concern there that you and I understand Jesus is the King, Remember, Luke's writing an individual Theophilus, and he says, Theophilus, I have written this gospel to you. I've made sure it is the most well-studied and and correct accounting of things, and you can imagine Theophilus, who's got questions about Christ, sitting down and reading the gospel, and and where is your mind going to go when all of a sudden you step in, and like the disciples who one day declare glory in the highest, all of a sudden, what happens when the world falls apart on Thursday night? See, Luke wants to be clear. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king when he enters and everyone's declaring it on the donkey. He is still the king when he's arrested. He is the king when he is tried and convicted wrongfully. He is the king when he is beaten and mocked. He is the king while he hangs crucified on the cross. He is the king when his body is dead and they pull him down. He is the king when he's in the tomb and he is sure goodness the king when he walks out alive. He is the king. But here's the danger. He is a king who can be missed. Now, church family understand, we live in wild times where there seems to be very little stability any direction you look. And honestly, if you really pay attention to the news, it seems like it doesn't matter what side of issues you land on, everybody feels like there's no stability. And in these times, church family, it's necessary that you and I understand and be sure about the fact that Jesus is the king. And what kind of king is he? He's the true messianic king, meaning he's the true Messiah. He's the promised king. Listen to Zechariah 9.9. 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Sout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt the child of a donkey. See, Jesus coming in on a donkey is fulfillment of prophecy, not only that, but in Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a vision of the temple before Babylon finishes dealing with Judah. And he sees the temple, and he sees God's glory get up and leave the temple, and where does God's glory go? Over the Mount of Olives. What's now happening? The glory of God comes down the Mount of Olives back to the temple, because where will Jesus go in the very next verse that we're not looking at today? The temple, where He will cleanse the temple. You see, He is the true Messianic King. He fulfills the prophecy that is all throughout Scripture. Not only does He fulfill the prophecy, but we see that He's Lord over all creation. It doesn't matter that the donkey has other owners, because ultimately that donkey is owned the same as everything else in this world. By its creator. He's the Lord over all creation. Creation testifies that he is the Messianic king. It's what he tells the Pharisees. Look, even if you silence every mouth, it doesn't change the fact that the rocks will shout out, I am the king. He is the king and Lord over all creation. Creation testifies. The heavens are telling the glory of God. He is the one who's greater than the kings before. David fled up the Mount of Olives. Jesus descended the Mount of Olives. Solomon was put on a a donkey by David. Jesus is greater than Solomon. You threw your coats down for Jehu, but the one who's greater than Jehu has come. He is the promised, prophesied Messiah, the king of the Old Testament. Not only that, but church family, he is the humble king who brings salvation. A king riding on a donkey was an act of peace, humility. We've looked at as we've walked through Hebrews, just what is the humility of Christ? That the one who is God himself, who, is, who sits in a glory and splendor that you can I not even fathom, chose to take on the form of a human being. How many of us and how much money is spent to try to get better than the basic model of being a human? Right, everybody wants to escape being a human, why? Because we're weak, we're frail, we die. And the God of the universe chose to become like us. To become like us and not just become like us, but he didn't come As the Prince of Rome, he was born to poor carpenters in a backwater town in the middle of nowhere. He humbled himself, not just in the way that he came, but in the fact that he is going to go for the purpose of salvation to the cross, to become your sin and my sin, to experience the wrath of God. He is the humble king who brings salvation. Hosanna. Hosanna means, O Lord, save us, we beg you. In order to save you and I, the man's humility on the part of Christ to go to the cross to pay the price that you and I deserve. It's not just the humble king who brings salvation, but he's the king of peace and righteousness. Scripture's clear. Jesus says, If you had known the things for peace, Scripture's clear that the only way you and I can have peace with God is in Christ. Amen. That the only way we can know the wholeness, the harmony, the shalom of God in our lives, regardless of circumstances, is in Christ. The only way you and I can measure up in the eyes of God before whom we have fallen short is in Christ. It's because of Christ we have the ability to sit at the table and to walk in fellowship with God. It's because of Christ we are sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to walk with Him in every way. He is the King of Peace, the King of Righteousness. He's the Weeping King. He's the weeping king. He knows the destruction, the lostness that is there. He knows the pain and sorrow, and he weeps at the rejection of people. A church family, sometimes people, we, when we preach the gospel, some will say, well, that's a, that's a harsh message. You're telling me if you don't believe in Jesus as, as Lord, as Savior, then you have to stand and give account for all your sin and receive punishment. That just seems harsh. Or maybe we go back and say, what about God in the Old Testament where he's so fiery and he speaks all these things? Let, Let me give you an answer. Ezekiel speaks to this. God speaking through Ezekiel says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but I would rather the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? Understand this, yes, if you and I reject Christ, we must give account for our sin because God is good and God is just. But also understand the heart of God. God is not up there hoping that many will reject so he can shoot them off to hell. No, God's heart is such because he is the king of of peace, the king of life. He desires that every person would turn, which is why he hadn't come back yet. Now, every person won't turn, but oh, God's heart longs to see every man, woman, boy, and girl yield their life to him. For salvation, he is the weeping king. He is the mist king. The disciples are, 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 are reciting Psalm 118:26. Psalm 118, though, is ironic because it's the same psalm where it says about the coming Messiah that he is the stone the builders rejected. You see, Jesus is the missed king. We've we've mentioned it already. The disciples are enthusiastic. They're declaring that the king is coming in. And I don't know, maybe in their minds they're thinking, this is it, this is the moment. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden we're gonna see Jesus go off. He's gonna put the Pharisees in their place, He's gonna put the Romans in in their place, He's gonna unite all the people. This is the moment where we take back and we have our freedom. And so when Jesus is arrested. On Thursday night, all their expectations flood. When they realize Jesus says, don't fight, they flee. They missed him. The crowds who are are coming and caught up in the hysterics, who've, who've seen the miracles of Jesus, yet in a matter of days are convinced to call for his crucifixion and the release. I mean, think with me, church family. Here's a man who heals the blind, who heals the lame, who brings the dead back to life. Let's kill him. And that murdering assaulter, yeah, let's put him back on the streets. The same crowds praising all of a sudden become the same crowds caught there. The Pharisees never wanted him in the first place. They lead the charge, and here then is the danger, because church family, Jesus is the king. He's the messianic king. He's the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness. He's the humble king who brings salvation. He is, he is the weeping king, but he can be missed. He can be missed. This is the danger ultimately from from Palm Sunday is that the king can be missed. We can miss him because the danger of our own sin, our own pride, our own self-centered expectations that refuse to be yielded to him. The most obvious way, church family, you and I can miss him is this. we can miss the fact that what Jesus came to do was not tell you and I to try harder, to be more impressive, to get more religious, to go to church five more times, to have seven more quiet times. The work that Jesus came to do was to do what you and I can never do. To go to the cross to become every ounce of our sin, which has separated us eternally from our Creator. And the message of Christ is not do better, the message of Christ is trust Him. You see, church family, the reality is, and this is true because we even have other denominations that that some explicitly say it, there's some that don't explicitly say it, but, but practically say it. It does not matter how Christian your family was or was not you were born into. It does not matter how many times you've gone to church. It doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible. It doesn't matter how many awards you've won for great Christian service. None of those things matter. None of those things make a person right with God. Which is why Jesus said there will be people on that day that say, Lord, Lord, look at all that I did for you and I will say, depart from me. I don't know you. There is one way to know God and be made right. It is by salvation by grace through faith. It is God in his grace saving as you and I in a response of faith, faith, uh, repent of our sin, ask him to save us and understand that when we ask Christ to save us, we're not just asking for a get out of hell free card. What we're asking is we're recognizing Jesus, you are Lord, I was made for you and I can't get to you, but you can get me. And so let's just be real clear, church family. If there is anyone in this room today and the reason you think you stand before God is because of all the boxes you've checked, can I plead with you, friend? Your boxes don't make you right with God. If you have never come to a point of trusting Christ in salvation for the forgiveness of your sins, then man, may today be the day. If you are watching online, if you're sitting out here, you can bow wherever you are right now if the Spirit's convicting your heart and you can respond. If you've got questions, then in a moment in the invitation, you can come down and any one of our pastors, we'd be happy to go sit down and talk through it with you because the heart of Christ is that you would know him in salvation by grace through faith. You can miss him When we choose not to know him, do we know him truly? But brothers and sisters, we who know him truly can miss him too. We miss him when our worship is lesser. Do we worship him rightly? Is this the Jesus we worship? Is the kind of king that Jesus is the king we worship? Or is the Jesus that we worship just a religious figure? We miss Jesus when the object of our worship is anything else other than him, anyone else other than him. We miss Jesus when we entertain thoughts, whether it's about him, ourselves, the world, others that are lesser than the truth that he is. We miss Jesus and, and, and degrade our worship when we sing and declare things that are true, but between false expectations, ruling and, and pride and self-centeredness. When the crowds of the worlds come near, we quickly pull up our clothes and stop singing, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Do we, do we worship him, Rightly Do we follow Him faithfully? We miss Christ when our life fails to reflect Him. Now listen, you and I are not saved by our works, but the salvation God brings in our life is to save us so that we would live out the works He prepared for us. And we miss Him when we fail in that. We miss Him when we fail to seek His kingship in our lives. We miss Him when humility does not mark our lives as humility marks his. We, we miss him when we fail to serve our spouses or cherish our children or disciple our family. We miss him. We miss him when we find hope and expectation for things elsewhere. We miss him when our hope for security and peace in life is how many followers and what people are saying and whether or not they like the house renovation pictures I posted on Instagram. Or we miss him when my peace and security in life is, how does this election go or that election go? Or, or what is the news saying today? We miss him when our peace and security in life is, is tied into what is our 401K and how does this look for retirement? We miss him when our peace and satisfaction in life is tied to other things other than him who is king. Him who is king. We miss him, church family, when our hearts don't weep at the unbelief and lostness of the world in the ways that his weeps. you catch that? Jesus comes in all of this. He's experiencing all this fanfare. And what's the total when he sees Jerusalem? It is to weep because he sees how many people have missed him, have missed it. They observe, but they do not understand. And church family, when we look out at a lost and dying world today, do we weep? Do we fall on our knees and weep? Are we, driven, are we driven then in that weeping at realizing that the lost and dying world will never not be lost and dying unless Jesus and his kingship is brought into their lives? And you know what? You and I are the ones who are the responsibility to share that story. It falls on us to be proclaimers of the gospel. It falls on us to state that. See, church family, we miss him when on our pride, we know what's true. In our pride, we know the truth about who he is, the kind of king that he is. But instead, we walk according to our own, our own ends. See, there's a danger, church family, that we can fall in the same category as the disciples where we can say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord where we can with enthusiasm when the crowd is right and the setting is correct and the mood is going, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But when push comes to shove and the heat turns on and mundane everyday life comes and hits, do we still honor the one true king? Is our hope in the one true king. So here's the reality, church family. Every day, it seems like something new and terrible comes out. Seems like government leaders have new recommendations. We debate if they're good or bad. We're told many things are going to get worse before they get better. There's more uncertainty in our world now than there was two years ago, and we thought, wow, this level of uncertainty is unprecedented. But here's what is true. Two thousand years ago, Jesus rode a donkey, signaling the humility in which he would go to the cross to bring peace between God and broken men and women. And on that day, he was rightly called king, but his kingdom was wrongly understood. And church family, in a week when we gather to celebrate his death and his resurrection in Easter, understand he has died, he has risen, and he is alive. And this is what is true about our king, that there will be another entrance to Jerusalem coming. There's a day coming where Jesus will stand on the Mount of Olives and it will split wide, Zechariah 14. There's a day coming when Jesus will ride not on a donkey but on a white horse descending from the clouds at the sound of a trumpet and everyone will see it and riding that horse, he will ride not to make peace, but to wage final war against evil and sin and death and destruction. You see, there's a day coming where he will enter through that eastern gate, that eastern gate that, that has been been covered and blocked off by those who control the temple mount, who have, who have buried all and made a cemetery in front of it for, for belief that no, no God would ever touch the dead and Oh, how wrong they are. There's coming a day when those eastern gates will burst wide open and He will walk through them and He will sit on His eternal, glorious throne. The day when the heavenly temple comes down and meets man. And on that day, church family, all of creation will cry out in praise. All of creation will praise for the freedom from the pain and hurt and groaning under sin, Romans 8. And on that day, church family, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. To the gl- and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the Father, and, and church family, if you are in this room and like me and you have been bought with the blood of Christ and have been saved by grace through faith, here's the wonderful reality. You and I will be there to see all of it, to see Him face to face with joy exploding in our hearts because our King has returned and brought His eternal kingdom forever. See, church family, that is our hope this Palm Sunday because he is our king. Praise the Lord. We amen and we applause, but church family, may we not walk out of this place and miss what kind of king he is. Let's pray. Jesus, you know this week as I've gone back through this passage and and looked at it afresh. God, what comfort and joy to know you are king. Jesus, you're clear. You being king doesn't mean this side of heaven that you spare us hardship, trial. In fact, you actually seem to indicate that you being king and us belonging to you will ramp that up. But what you do promise is because you are king, your will won't be thwarted in our lives. Because you are king, you will never leave us or fell us or forsake us. Because you are king your grace is sufficient and your power will be perfected in our weakness. Because you are king, you will fill us with joy and peace and love. Because you are king, our hope is not wishful thinking of something that could happen. But Lord, our hope is is a, is a, a, a knowledge of what is guaranteed to happen. And because it's guaranteed to happen, it changes everything because you are king. And Lord, if there's any in this room who have missed what kind of king you are, who do not truly know you, Father, may they not heed the voice of the enemy that says, how embarrassing, you've been in church for 40 years. Lord, there's no embarrassment when someone comes to know you truly, just joy. God, for those of us who know you truly, And we see that you're a king of humility, a king of righteousness, king of justice, king of peace. You being the king of those things means that's what your kingdom is like. Father, may we not in our words declare that you're king, but in our actions miss what kind of king you are. So, Holy Spirit. As you have moved and as you stir this place, may you find us faithful to respond, Jesus, because you are the King, and it is in your name we pray. Amen.